0: Our first reading is from the book of Exodus 34, beginning at verse 29. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, The skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin on his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let us sing and recite the 99th Psalm together.
1: You oh, justice and delight and faithfulness
0: maintain. You reign, O oh God, and the peoples tremble. You sit enthroned upon the cherubim, and the earth is quaking. You, O God, are great in Zion. You are exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy are you, and mighty, a ruler who delights in justice. You have determined what is fair. You have done in Jacob what is just and right.
1: Justice and delight, and
0: faithfulness maintain. Moses and Aaron were among your priests, Miriam among those who called your name. They called to you, O God, and you answered. In the pillar of cloud you spoke to them. They kept your teachings and the law that you gave them. O oh God, our God, you answered them. To them you were a forgiving God, though you punished their offenses. Proclaim the greatness of God and worship on God's holy hill, for God, our God, is the Holy One. Our gospel reading for this morning is from the Good News according to Luke, chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James And went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory, and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. While he was saying this, a cloud came down and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silence and in those days told no one any. Of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It throws him into convulsions until he phones at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, this demon seized him, dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
2: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God in this holy place, in this holy time, fill our hearts with your Spirit, embrace us with your love, and open our eyes to all the possibilities you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the gospel passage for this week, Peter, desperate to capture the spirit of the moment and reluctant to return to the mundane, grasps at a spectacular vision. He has stumbled into the blind, sublime. He wants to harness this experience. He wants for this episode to make a difference in the life, in his life, and the life of his friends. For this event on the mountaintop to shift the axis of power and to do nothing less than to rearrange the cosmos. Just prior to today's gospel reading, Jesus gives a serious commission to the disciples. It's powerful. Peter would have remembered it. You who wish to be my followers must deny your very self. Take up your cross, the instrument of your own death, every day and follow in my steps. If you would save your life, you will lose it. And if you'd lose your life for my sake, you will save it. And so, in this frame and mind and heart, they climb Mount Tabor. Jesus is praying. And as he prays, his face changes and his clothes become dazzlingly white. Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus and to the disciples. Today's text tells us that they appeared in glory and spoke of the prophecy that Jesus was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Typically, typically, the disciples have fallen asleep and missed this part. But suddenly they awaken and see Jesus in glory and the two people standing next to him the disciples make a suggestion that three tents be set up in the mountain and that jesus moses and elijah each occupy a tent they try to convince jesus that this could be a permanent arrangement and that all could remain on the mountain having amazing and cozy conversations with jesus moses and elijah but a cloud appears and overshadows them suddenly The confidence of the disciples is lost, and they grow fearful. A voice speaks from the cloud and says, This is my own, my chosen one. Listen to me. The voice then goes silent. Moses and Elijah disappear from view, leaving Jesus standing with Peter, John, and James. In today's reading from chapter 34 in the book of Exodus, we again climb a mountain, this time with Moses as he climbs Mount Sinai. In another time, I climbed Mount Sinai, or rather sat on a camel and rode to the top of Mount Sinai. I was journeying with 20 other pilgrims who were spending six weeks in Israel and Palestine to deepen our spirituality and to live in community. We rode in the darkness when it was cooler for us, and certainly for the camels. It was a hard ride for us on top of ill-tempered and remarkably flatulent camels (laughs) pulled by locals who frequently yelled at or swatted swatted the animals. Along narrow trails, we rode on the sure-footed camels until we reached the summit and tried to gather in prayer and silence. It was a messy place, strewn with debris from other pilgrims and remarkably crowded and noisy. Not exactly the pristine place that I had imagined it would be. But we were there on the top of Mount Sinai, Sinai with all the context conveyed by that mesmerizing word, Sinai. So this morning, we have two different mountaintop experiences, but some common traits are shared by both. On a mountaintop, we have the opportunity to enter into a time of deep reflection, contemplation, or if one is on a religious quest, an encounter with the divine, and an encounter certainly with oneself. there in that place with all of the distractions of our busy lives our cell phones and schedules all shut down we enter into a focused time with ourselves and certainly with god we empty ourselves out as one would empty a glass of water and we await the influx of god's spirit back in our regular lives we persist in trying to understand our mountaintop experiences and indeed our valley moments throughout our lives. They arrived unannounced, changing us in irreversible ways if we pay attention. But too often our response is like that of Peter, babbling absurdities because we cannot understand the significant meaningful moment. When Peter does finally quit talking nonsense, a cloud appears, envelops them, and the voice of God gives instructions to each one of them. What is the mountaintop to you? What are your mountaintop experiences? What does all of this mean to you in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a strangely challenging world? What does this passage call to mind and heart for you? On the one hand, we want our little egos to bask in Jesus' power and glory, but today's gospel reminds us that Jesus' mission was not to make a big deal of himself or to elevate his followers to positions of power, authority, and prestige through identification with him. It was rather to point through and beyond himself to God and to God's coming reign on earth and to invite his followers to find their voice in bearing witness to this transforming, redemptive, merciful, and very loving God. High on the mountain, In a moment of numinous splendor, Jesus was indeed clothed in the dazzling light of God, but only briefly and only to a select few. The heavenly mystery was unveiled only to be veiled again on the cross and to be revealed again, not in the glorious light of a resurrection appearance, but in an empty tomb with a solitary human figure announcing his resurrection and subsequent return to Galilee. What do you hear in your heart as you reflect on these passages? Where does God speak to you in the midst of all the scripture? Do today's passages compel you to recognize mountaintop experiences as well as the eventual return to the valley below? Are you tempted sometimes to stay on the mountaintop and not come down because it's so comfortable there and so wonderful there and so easy there? and when you do come down can you let go of that mountaintop experience to the point where you can be of some earthly good to other followers of jesus hard question eh? the thought that our experiences in life are linked with god's story unfolding in the world can be reassuring but also terrifying we may even experience a faith moment without recognizing it at first Still others of us may be able to report hearing the word word and voice of God, but out of fear, not feeling comfortable sharing our experience with the faith community, remaining silent. Perhaps we are like Peter, desperate for an enduring transfiguration. Perhaps we are desperate for God's presence to settle upon us, upon our lives, our neighborhoods, and our world a permanent transformation of society, the liberation of the world from all of that which threatens it. Perhaps we want nothing less than the transfiguration of all things with the eternal goodness of God's life and love, starting with us in our hearts and our lives as we dwell in the power of God and prepare to take this redemption to the world. But Peter soon learns that he controls nothing when it comes to God, The vision does not stay. So Peter and the others follow Jesus down the mountain, a return to the unspectacular life they know, the day-to-day of discipleship, love for neighbors and strangers, the struggles of life, and the confrontation with the authorities, which will lead them to yet another hill to climb called Golgotha. But the good news this morning I would share with you is that God's presence can change our lives. Transfiguration is an invitation to return to our communities and to our lives with renewed attention and patience, awaiting the luminescence of the mundane. We are called to attend to the present and to wonder at the ordinary, to let Jesus as a life astonish us with the sacred. And so it is good for us to be here today, right where we are, for this too is holy ground even in the midst of a pandemic. It's been a difficult year, a tough year. Physical isolation has meant chronic loneliness for many, which is only compounded by feeling alone in one's way of seeing the world while masked, distant, and wary of human contact. Yet in this fraught and painful time, what we need, I would suggest, is more intensity of feeling, not less. We need to practice what American pastor and civil rights leader, the late John Lewis, described as the politicization of tenderness. Don't you love that? The politicization of tenderness. A regard for the humanity that wants our well-being so much that we are willing, we are called to confront their fears, our fragility and paranoia, so that we might love to death all that robs them of love and harms those they cannot think they can love. I would also suggest that our masks have unmasked us. Those of us who wear them diligently, as irritating and uncomfortable as they are, telegraph our trust in their medical efficacy and our conviction that we're responsible for one another, that we need to protect each other. But the unmasked people who refuse to wear masks, refuse the distance, tell a different story. They tell a story of arrogance, ignorance, and frankly, an unchrist-like way of living in a demanding and deadly time. The pandemic has created a few bright spots with respect to our use of time. For years, I have been observing our Canadian love affair with busyness. A jam-packed life has acquired certain social status or cachet. We've linked busyness to personal importance. But this year, limited travel, expanded opportunities for working remotely, and more than enough social isolation. I've stripped a busier-than-thou attitude from a lot of people, including me. Outscheduling one's neighbors has ceased to be a competitive sport, and perhaps this is a good thing. Maybe the point in which to conclude this sermon this morning is that faith communities can become safe places for both members and seekers to explore the various ways that the identity of Jesus is being revealed. In the midst of the extreme demands of COVID-19, we open our hearts to God for a sense of God's love and the support of God's community. In these stark restrictions of these days, we are nevertheless drawn to one another and also to God. We seek one another out in a new kind of identity, behind masks and at a distance, but from the vantage point of our open hearts and our sense of being deeply loved by God. Hopefully our eyes sparkle behind the masks. And so as we climb our particular mountains and inhabit our particular valleys, let us do so with a mind to the person on our right and the person on our left. As we stride forward, let us do so with the confidence born out of a belief in a God who loves us more deeply than our words can ever understand. As we reflect on the God who reveals himself in the ordinary things of life, in this case, in the breaking of bread, Let us hear the words of poet Angela Alemo O'Donnell, who writes, You hand me the loaf, I tear off the heel, dip it in the blue dish of olive oil. This ritual performed at every meal gladdens my heart. This is the real presence of joy these days of pandemic. The world's gone insane, people are frantic. They talk of the news, the news, the news, terrible deaths, bleak crucifixions. Lives once well-ordered now lack direction. Better to sit here, just me and you, to set on our table olives and wine, to savor the taste of sweet grapes and brine, to raise our glasses and toast the poor dead, to mend the world, and to break our bread. Let us respond in silent prayer. We thank you, gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: sky. Uh. the